With, uh, with so much talk uh, in the news about Israel, uh, I know maybe some of you guys but, uh, as well, but I have been inundated um, with it. And so I thought it would be good to take a few minutes uh, this morning just to share a perspective um, from the pulpit uh, that the news is really not talking about. Uh, and I would start off by saying this war is not just about land. Uh, it's ultimately about the destruction of Israel. Uh, we studied it a few months ago. I, you probably remember. It's about two brothers. It's about Ishmael and Isaac. These boys are still fighting today. Uh, Ishmael, as you know, made up the Arab nations. Uh, he's called in Scripture a wild donkey of a man whose hand is against everyone and everyone's hand is against him as he lives uh, to the east or in defiance of his brothers. Uh, and so this is not just about land. This is a continuation of Pharaoh. Pharaoh who enslaved the Israelites and then killed um, every Hebrew boy uh, in the, in the, that was born there. This is also about the Assyrians invading and destroying Israel. This is about the Babylonians conquering Jerusalem and enslaving the Hebrew people uh, under King Nebuchadnezzar. This is the Roman Empire enslaving the Jews and taking their land. This is Nero who killed Jews and Christians and when they had no land, this is a continuation of Hitler who killed Jews. It wasn't because of land. It was about the destruction of the nation of Israel. And now it's Hamas. They are just merely the latest as they partner with Iran and Hezbollah and who, who, else, who knows who else. And land is their excuse when the real purpose of all of this has been, as has been from the beginning, the destruction of the Jews, whether they have land or not. And so regardless of what happens in this current situation, the Antichrist will ultimately seek the destruction of God's people. So this isn't new. In fact, Paul calls it in, in 1 Timothy 4, he calls it the doctrine of demons. And so we could say, well, what we are seeing is evil. It's demonic. Ben Shapiro said this week, at least the Nazis tried to hide what they were doing. They dug mass graves. They tried to keep what they were doing in secret. Hamas is not trying to hide it. They're filming it. They're putting it out on social media for the whole world to see. And why are they doing it? Well, we go back to the book of Judges because they were doing, they're doing what's right in their own eyes. They're not trying to justify wrongs. They actually think wrong is right and right is wrong. And so this past week, I've been inundated with the question, is this is this a sign of the end times and are we in the last days? You know what the answer of that is? Yes. We've been in the last days for a long time. So what you're really trying to ask me is, is this the last of the last days? Well, I can't answer that. Every generation that has existed since Jesus left thought that they were the generation that he would come back. So I can't tell you if this is the last of the last days or if there are still hundreds of years left. But I can say it's pretty interesting though when you study books like Ezekiel and Zechariah and Revelation and Daniel and you see these nations uh, rise up in partnership with the Antichrist against Israel, it's really Genesis 10. Remember that long, boring chapter of the table of nations and where everybody went and everything else? It's, we're back there. Again, same players, real key nations in end times prophecy that are, that are very on, on the very top of our news cycle today. Remember Magog? He's the father of the Scythians. We would call them the Russians in our day. And so when you see Russia trying to reconstitute the former Soviet Union to Israel's north, well, that's a big deal. Especially when they partner with some place like Persia. You go, what's Persia? Well, Persia up until the 1930s was Iran. I'm sorry, uh, Iran up until the, it was Persia until Iran in 1930s. So in the past few years, it is interesting that, <clears throat> that Magog or Russia has been sending enriched uranium to Persia or Iran. And then Persia is sending these drones to Magog. Why? For the destruction of Ukraine. By the way, in the, during the Holocaust, you realize more Jews died in Ukraine than any other nation. There's a lot of Jews in Ukraine. 
Both of these nations are partnering with China, who many say will form the million-man army. So what do we do? Let's say today's the last day. What should you do? Well, let's say you have hundreds of years before the last day. What should you do? Same thing. You be faithful. Like that's what God has called you to do. Don't get caught up in all these wild speculations and who's who and what's what. And it's fun talk. But some people are staying up at night worried about this stuff. God has a responsibility. He's going to protect the nation of Israel. I don't know how he's going to do it. We have a responsibility. And that is to be faithful, to preach his word, to teach his word, to share the best news that has ever been had. I mean, what do you do, right? You, you can, can we just go on with this, with all of the, I mean, the news is depressing. And, and then all your friends are talking about it and you go, so Mike, what do I do in that time? And I would say, freak out, that's good. Or panic, maybe panic's good. Maybe you should worry. Maybe you should be so anxious that you can't sleep at night. Maybe you just wonder where God is. No, you don't do that. What did Jesus say? Look up. You start to see all this stuff happening, look up. Luke 21, he says, your redemption is drawing near. End times prophecy should not scare us. Paul said we should comfort one another with these words. We comfort one another because it means Jesus is coming back that much sooner. But don't mistake the, the second coming of Christ as the rapture of the church. There's nothing that needs to happen for the rapture of the church to happen. That is imminent. Right? And, but in the rapture of the church, listen, that, that's not Jesus coming to us. That's us going to him. So the signs that we see, wars and rumors of words, wars, earthquakes, you know, the, the faithful people falling away, the elect falling away, all of that stuff, that's not signs for the rapture of the church. That's signs for the second coming of Christ. So think about it this way. I, I was in Sam's Club recently in October, and they had Christmas decorations everywhere. I'm like, it's October. But when you're in Sam's Club in October and you see Christmas decorations in October, the one thing you know is that Thanksgiving's near. Which tells me, when we see signs for the second coming, Christmas, we know Thanksgiving has to happen first, the rapture, before Christmas happens. What has to happen before the rapture? Nothing at all. It's imminent. And so if you're a believer, then God has called you to pray and to preach. And when we pray for Israel's peace, it's not just a, a geographical peace. It's for Israel to receive the Prince of Peace. And so we pray for Israel, we pray for Israel's salvation. And listen, I don't care where you line up eschatologically. You share Christ because he's the hope of nations. Right? You can get into all the arguments. I, I'm not really interested in those. I'll tell you this, I heard a reporter the other day talking about the atrocities that, was being, that were being carried out by Hamas, and, and she said, and I quote, they are animals. Yes, I'm using that term animals because no human would do that. And the first thing I thought of was, she's never read Genesis 3. Any human would do that. And when we say that we would not do any of the atrocities that somebody else would do, we're deceiving ourselves. Outside of the grace of God and a massive intervention in our lives, there's no sin that we could not commit. Romans 2 says in condemning them, we're actually condemning ourselves. But we live in a sin-cursed world that's not getting better. We're getting worse. And we see it's a world that the ultimate enemy of Israel, the Antichrist himself, will eventually set up his kingdom and seek to kill every person who bowed their knee before Israel's Messiah. And Israel will not be destroyed because God has promised to be faithful to his people, even though his people aren't faithful to him. And let me just remind you, Israel is God's prodigal son. 
everything that don't, don't just say because it's Israel, they must be doing right. Israel is God's prodigal son. Israel has rejected God's Messiah. And so regardless of the fact that they have not been faithful to him, he will be faithful to them. I could literally go on for hours. Okay, I'll stop there. But let's pray as we prepare our own hearts to open God's word this morning. I'm going to pray from Psalm 83. Let's pray together. Oh God, do not remain silent. Do not be silent, and oh God, do not be still. For behold, your enemies make an uproar, and those who hate you have exalted themselves. They make shrewd plans against your people, and they conspire together against your treasured ones. They have said, come and let us wipe them out as a nation, that the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they had conspired together with one mind against you, they make a covenant. Our Father, this morning we pray for the nation of Israel. We pray for their peace, and as we pray for their peace, we thank you for keeping your promises to them for millennia. And so we pray for their salvation. We pray that they will no longer be prodigals, that they would recognize Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And we thank you at the same time that though we are, we are not Jews by birth, that you have grafted us into the vine. And I thank you for so many who are seeing what is going on in our world and are now open to hearing the gospel that weren't open before. And I, will pray that, I pray that we will understand our obligation to share Christ, that we'll be unashamed, that we'll be eager to preach your gospel. And I pray that you would open our hearts this morning as we open your word. Teach us, instruct us, prepare us for the work that's ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, open your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 32. We've been studying this man named Jacob, who will today be renamed Israel. Um, and we've studied his life, I would say, pretty in depth over the past few months. But, but Genesis 32 may actually be the most pivotal chapter in his life. And I can only imagine if we knew Jacob's dreams as a young man, uh, his life would have looked a whole lot different than how it turned out. And you have to wonder what he was thinking would happen when he stole his brother's birthright. Like when he took it, did he think, oh, he'll be, he'll be fine with that? I mean, what was he thinking would happen when he deceived his father into giving him Esau's blessing? And what was he thinking would happen, Right? And as he's running away from, from Esau, literally running for his life, you think he was thinking, man, Esau needs to chill. He, he shouldn't want to kill me. I mean, it's just a blessing. It's just a birthright. He should be happy for me that I actually got his blessing. I doubt, I doubt that Jacob thought that this is how his life would go. But in this introduction, I think there is a lesson for us to learn, and that lesson is this. You, you can make decisions. In fact, you can make whatever decision you like. What you cannot do is choose the consequences of those decisions. You can make your decisions. You can't choose the consequences. So Jacob made decisions. He didn't get to choose the consequences of those decisions. Hamas chose to commit atrocities. They don't get to choose how Israel will respond. Listen, the same is true in our life. We make decisions all the time that we wish had different consequences, but we don't get to choose the consequences. We only get to choose the decisions. And yet what I've often seen in my life, and I'm sure you have as well, is that it's oftentimes in our consequences that we see real hope in Christ. And so Jacob's consequences lasted at least 20 years. Genesis 32 is when things begin to change for him. When Jacob left home, his his mom told him, it's just going to be for a few days. You know, once, once Esau's anger has subsided, then, then I'll get word to you, and it's, all, it's been 20 years now. And as far as we can tell, as far as we know, Jacob never heard from or saw his mom again. So in Jacob's mind, Esau is still mad. Esau wants to kill him. 
Jacob has good reason to fear uh, this confrontation that's going to happen with, with Esau. So Genesis 32, I'm just going to read the last, the last portion of our text today, uh, and then we'll go back to the verse, first verse and start to work through it. But beginning in verse 24, Jacob, uh, sorry, Genesis 32, beginning in verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he, t- he touched the socket of his thigh, so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it do you ask me my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of his hip. Now think about Jacob. Just as a bit of a review, he's been a deceiver from day one, right? He's been the manipulator. He's been the conniver. He's been the supplanter. And he even tried to do it with God. Remember back in Genesis 28 and verse 20? Look what he said. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. So this is an if. If you do your part, then I'll do my part. This stone which I have set up to you as a pillar will be God's house and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Kind of funny how he's bargaining with God, isn't he? This is actually the mentality of the sinner who says, God, if you'll, if you'll get me out of this one, this one time, I, I will go to church every week. I'll read my Bible every day. I will share the gospel. And I will never do that sin again. That's Jacob. Jacob's like, God, if, if you give me clothing and food if you make sure that I'm safe home, I'll let you be my God. And of course, God, you know that if I let you be my God, then I'm going to start tithing too. It's like he thinks that God should feel lucky. Lucky that he's around, right? Well, that's the old Jacob. The old Jacob was all about himself. And then some angels show up. And that's what we're going to see today. So point number one in your notes is there is a divine encounter, a divine encounter. Beginning in verse one, it says, now as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. <clears throat> Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named that place Mahanaim. Now this isn't the first time Jacob has encountered angels. Remember, he met them at, at Bethel with all the Jacob's ladder um, time. But this time, things are a little bit different when he encounters them, and he ends up naming the place Mahanaim. It it means two camps. So the idea is there's two camps. It's not just my camp. It's not just me here. The angels are also here. And it has to be comforting for Jacob to have angels available uh, as he reenters the homeland, because remember, he's thinking Esau is still angry. And you go, well, what about his relationship with Laban? Surely Laban got him ready for Esau. Well, not really. Laban, he dealt with for 20 years, and, but we never really see that Laban was this, this perpetual angry man. What we do see is Laban was a deceptive man. It's not until later, really just before Jacob left, where we see uh, Laban's uh, anger. But here there are two camps. There's Jacob's camp and a camp of angels. Jacob's camp would have been clearly seen, but the angel's camp was probably unseen. The angels are there to protect him from the dangers that were coming. You know, I came from a Catholic background, and I was always taught that I had, there was a guardian angel around me, right? I had one guardian angel. And, and this guardian angel, was his job to, to follow me around and make sure I didn't get into too much trouble. He did not do a very good job, okay? Realistically, there's not one guardian angel there's a multitude of angels. Remember when Elijah, or Elisha, 
Remember when he was just scared out of his wits because he and Elijah were surrounded by this huge army and there's horses and chariots and that's all he can see is this army surrounding them and, and, he, and he tells Elijah you know, about this and remember what Elijah told him? 2 Kings 6 verse 16, so he answered, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now listen, Elisha's standing there with Elijah and, and there's got surrounded by horses and chariots and, and, and Elijah goes, oh no, there's more of us than there are of them. Well, Elisha's got to be going, what are you talking about? Elijah looks around and he says, open, opens, open his eyes, 2 Kings 6, 17. Then Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So God has this invisible army of angels there to protect them. And you know what? He has an invisible army of angels right now protecting us. And if we could see him, it'd probably freak us out. Even now, the angels are here. We're meeting, God's word's being preached. We're, we're, we're singing praises to God and, and, and we're ministering the, the word of God to one another through teaching or encouragement or singing. Or, and there's this invisible army that's, that's just joining in with that. But there's another invisible army as well. It's an invisible army of demons and they are fighting also. And they're fighting to distract you. They want you to focus on how hot it is. <laughs> all the distractions that tomorrow is going to have. Anything, it doesn't matter. Anything to, to keep you out of God's word. And so these angels are fighting these demons and we can't see any of it. But they're trying to distract you. I love where Paul told the Corinthian church, he said, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. It's an active process where, where this thought comes in and you take that captive, move that out, replace it with something that God would have. But the angels are doing their job. Look at Hebrews 1 verse 14. Are they, speaking of the angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who inherit the salvation? Who's the one who inherits salvation? We are. And so the angels are ministering spirits that they are sent out to render service for us. Their job is to serve us. And what's really interesting, and don't ask me about it because I don't understand it, but Paul told the Corinthian church, one day we're going to judge angels. Do you know that? One day our job is going to be to judge angels. That's all I know. Look at verse 3. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. Now, here's a really interesting note here. Seir, it means hairy. Okay, so they called this land the land of Seir because there was all kinds of thickets in this land. So it looked like a hairy land. What does Esau mean? Hairy. And Esau, the hairy one who lives in the hairy land, formed the Edomites. Esau's hair was red. And stew Esau got from Jacob was red, and Edom, by the way, means red. So he's a red, hairy man living in a hairy land named Red, or Edom. That's for free. That was just me. No commentary said that. I just put it all together. He's a red, hairy man living in a hairy land named Red, or Edom. Verse 4. Uh, he also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. And so prior to going home, Jacob feels compelled to, to contact his brother Esau. And, and it does seem from the text that he wants to reconcile with him. He wants to make sure that, that his brother knows that he has kind intentions towards him. And so point number two is there's a humble introduction. Now, now, some commentators say that Jacob is, is, is back to his manipulating self here. I don't think so. And I don't think so for a few reasons. First, I, he calls Esau Lord. 
He calls himself a servant. And the animals and the servants are to inform Esau that, listen, I'm a wealthy man now. I'm not coming back here to place any claim on daddy's wealth. I've got my own wealth. And so in humility, he's ensuring Esau that his return is friendly. His return is non-threatening. He wants Esau's favor. I think he's also a bit sensitive towards Esau's feelings, his emotional state. And there's for sure an argument for the fact that Jacob had gained an appreciation for Esau being a victim of his, of his deception, just like Jacob had been a victim of Laban's deception. So you see what he's doing here. You go, man, he's, this is great. Esau should be really happy about this. Look at verse 6. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, we have come to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he is coming to meet you. Oh, by the way, 400 men are with him. Uh-oh. This is Jacob's worst nightmare because he's stuck now between home and Mizpah. Remember last week, Mizpah? That's a real problem now because he made a covenant pre- preventing him from going back into Laban's land. So he can't go back, and going forward means an army of 400. And so point number three is this is an alarming report. Report. So the only option Jacob has is to move forward, but moving forward means he's going straight into Esau's army of 400. And so look how Jacob responds to this report, verse 7. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. For he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. And so just like you and I would, Jacob assumes the worst. So he's fearful, but his fear doesn't paralyze him. And he ends up making a plan to make sure that at least one company of wives and children and and cattle will be safe. If he attacks one, then the other one will be okay. You go, well, is Jacob acting in fear or is he acting in faith? Yeah. His plan isn't sinful, right? It's not sinful to make a plan. It's actually wise. But look what he does next in verse 9. And this is pivotal. I wish I could just emphasize it. Look look how he responds. Remember, this is Jacob, right? This is Jacob who every time there was a barrier that was up, he found a way to connive. He found a way to deceive. He found a way to supplant and grab the heel and and all this stuff. But look, this is a different Jacob. Jacob said, verse 9, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives and I will prosper you. You see what the difference is? Jacob prays. This is a humble Jacob. This is a dependent Jacob. This is a Jacob who prays. And so point number four is this is a prayerful response. Now these four verses, I was talking to Josh this week, I said, well, we could just stay on these four verses literally the whole time. But this prayer gives us, it's a great pattern that he gives us for prayer. And the first thing we see in verse 9 is that Jacob's prayer is a prayer of faith. He, he appeals to the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. How? By faith. Just like us, our access to God is not because we are good. It's not because we had a good day or a good week. We come to him, how? By faith. And specifically, what's his faith in? His faith is in the promises of God. Right? God, you're the one that said I'm going to return. I'm doing what you said. Now look at verse 10. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. So not only is there faith in Jacob's prayer, there's humility in Jacob's prayer. This is a new Jacob. He knows he hasn't earned God's favor. He knows he hasn't earned God's love and faithfulness. He knows he's unworthy of all of it. He knows that when he crossed the Jordan, all he had was a staff. God, remember those days. I remember coming over here, I had one stick. That's all I had. This one stick, this was, this was my property right here. And, and so with all of that, God has blessed him. He's like, I got two companies now. I have two huge groups now. So he approaches God in faith and he approaches God in humility and he doesn't ask him anything yet. Not until verse 11. Look what he asked for. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, 
that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. Actually, I think we could probably sum that whole prayer up in one word, help. Oh God, help. Jacob's whole life has been conniving and manipulating and he's trying to get his way and, and we've said the biggest piece of the pie and, and, and what God has done is he has taken away all of his options so that God is his only option. And my favorite part of the prayer is actually reminding God of his promises, verse 12. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. You see what he's doing now? God, you said, like I'm going back to your word. You said my descendants would be like the sand of the sea. Earlier, remember verse nine, you said that to return to your country and relatives. And so the heart of Jacob's prayer is the fact that he is, it is a prayer of faith and his faith is in the promises of God. This is a new Jacob. The old Jacob, he was smug and, and self-confident. And he goes from this manipulative person to a prayer warrior, a really dependent person. Look at verse 13. So he spent the night there, and then he selected from what he had uh, with him a present for his brother Esau. Now, in many ways, I think you'd agree that Jacob's life has been marked by what he's been able to take from his Esau. And now his messengers are, are proof that he wasn't coming. I'm not coming to take anything else from you, Esau. In fact, he's going to seek to appease him, which is point number five, an appeasing response. Now, in the next few verses, Jacob's present, I really want you to notice this. I read through this a few times and thinking, what does this even mean? Why does he number them like this? And, and what you see is that Esau has an abundance of female animals. I'm sorry, Jacob's present to Esau is abundance of female animals. You know, what's the big deal? Well, it's really significant because an abundance of females means the flocks could breed more rapidly. Look at verse 14. So this is his present, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. He delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on before me and put a space between droves. He commanded the one in front saying, when my brother Esau meets you and asks you saying, to whom do you belong and where are you going and to whom do these animals in front of you belong? Then you shall say, these belong to your servant Jacob. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau and behold, he is also behind us. Then he commanded also the second and the third and all those who followed the droves saying, after this manner, you shall speak to Esau when you find him and you shall say, behold, your servant, Jacob also is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the, with the present that he goes before me. Then afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he will then accept me. So the present passed on before him while he himself spent that night in the camp. So you see what's happening here. Rather than one big large gift, he sends wave after wave after wave of gifts. And again, this stresses, this is a new nature for Jacob. Jacob's not a giver. Jacob's a taker. I'm sorry, Jacob's a giver, not a taker. Jacob's a servant, not a supplanter. And this abundance of, of females means Esau in the years to come is going to be very prosperous. If he, had, if he didn't have 400, if he didn't have anything but a stick, and that's what he starts with, he is going to be rich beyond measure. And what a contrast this was to how Laban treated him. <clears throat> Remember with Laban? Remember Laban? He, he said, okay, Jacob, you can go through the flocks today. And then actually didn't let him go through the flocks today. He went through the flocks for him. So Jacob started with nothing. But with Esau, Jacob is trying to appease his anger and, and he's generous to him. Look at verse 22. Now he arose that same night, took his two wives and his two maids and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and he sent across whatever he had. And so it seems that Jacob broke camp in order to protect his family uh, from his brother's army. That, that's wise, right? And, and I know, and I've probably even maybe helped in this uh, unwittingly, but it, it seems that there's a tendency in, when you read this story 
to feel bad for Esau. You almost feel sorry for Esau. And I would say, don't do that. God gives us divine commentary on Esau and who he was. Hebrews 12, verse 16. It says that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. It reads, he's a pornos bebelos. He's an immoral and godless person. Now, now remember, Jacob prayed. Jacob prayed that God would save him from the hand of his brother. Jacob was fearful, and, and that fear is is exacerbated when he, when he hears that Esau has an army of 400 coming to meet him. So Jacob becomes wise and he, he protects his own, but in protecting his own, it doesn't mean that he's not trusting God, right? Like you can lock your doors and still trust God. They're not one or the other. There's a balance in scripture. You work hard and you pray hard. The balance in scripture, you see both divine sovereignty and human responsibility. And so don't fault Jacob here. He prayed and he prepared. And what was he preparing for? Well, he's preparing to meet his brother, but God still has a work to do in Jacob. So point number six is, there, six is there's an angelic wrestler. Verse 24, look how it starts. Then Jacob was left alone. They stop there. Jacob was left alone. God has gotten rid of all of Jacob's options so that the only option Jacob has is God. And that is a good place to be. And he is now in solitude. He's in silence. I think one of the best sermons I have ever preached was to a, a group of students uh, in Tennessee. Uh, it was about 10 o'clock at night when my talk started. And I had them turn all the lights off. And the talk was on silence and solitude. And so I made a PowerPoint presentation that lasted 45 minutes just on silence and solitude and the value of just being silent and still before God. And we live in a world where that doesn't happen. But listen, if you, if you read your Bible on your phone, you're not reading your Bible. So many distractions come in all the time. And I read my Bible on my phone, okay? Uh, but there's so many distractions that come in. You get a notification here, a notification there, and just get one of these, really. And then put the phone away and just be still. Because oftentimes it's in those times of silence and solitude that God will meet us. Luke 5, verse 16, it says, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Often. Like if Jesus needed to often slip away and pray, do you think you don't? I mean, it's just sad to me how many Christians don't slip away to pray. And if that's you, slip away tonight. Slip away tomorrow morning. Get time with God and, and be still. And allow God to speak to you through his word and, 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 and you speak to him in prayer. Get isolated with God, just like Jacob's doing. It's an isolation that God will often change you. Look at verse 24. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Now, we always hear about this story, but there are some interesting nuances here. Uh, and the first one is that Jacob didn't initiate the wrestling match. The man actually picked the fight. Now, later we're going to see that this man is God. So isn't it interesting then to go, God picked this fight. Well, that's happened to you before, right? You had plans. You prepared. You were going your own way, and then God bounced on you. Look how Hosea sums up what happened here. He says, in the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his maturity, he contended with God. Yes, he wrestled with the angel and prevailed. He contended with God, the angel, the man is God. And so Hosea affirms that. And we've seen Jesus as the angel of the Lord over and over in Genesis. This is just another pre-Bethlehem appearance of Christ. That's why he says in, in verse 30, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. And so think about Jacob, he's, he's isolated. He's confronted by God, he's desperate. 
and now he's in a fight. Verse 25. And when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh, and so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated when he wrestled with him. Now, if you've ever done any wrestling before, you know a wrestler's strength is in his legs. The legs are the foundation, so where do you think God touches them? In his weakness? No, in his strength. And Jacob has done everything possible to appease Esau. He sent him gifts, he, he divided up his family, and, and now he can't even run away. Now he's crippled, permanently crippled. Verse 26, and then he says, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob's not even wrestling anymore, he's just holding on. I mean, with everything he's got, he's just holding on. Now let me ask this, could the angel of the Lord gotten away from him? like that. But God's growing Jacob. And Jacob still needs to see what's in his own heart. And God's getting Jacob to the point where he's asking him, do you want my blessing done my way? Or is there still a little bit of Jacob in Jacob? And it's in this brokenness. And it's in this desperation and helplessness where Jacob is no longer able to depend on his fleshly skills. And he's finally in the place for God to bless him. Now, don't read this and think that Jacob is bargaining with God. Jacob is not bargaining with God. Jacob is begging God. But if he's going to get God's blessing, then he has to do things God's way. It has to be by faith. can't be by scheming. And now the angel says, let me go, but he doesn't want Jacob to let him go. He doesn't want to get away, and that's how God works, Right? That's what it looks like to, see him with, to seek him with all your heart. He wants Jacob to be in a, in, a, in a position where he's absolutely dependent on God, where Jacob would hold on to him with all of his might and refuse to let him go. We, we sang the song Rock of Ages recently. Listen to the, the lyrics of one of the stanzas. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for, va- for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. That's the broken man. That's the place where Jacob is, and that's the place where God wants us. Listen, oftentimes, God puts us flat on our back because it's the best angle to look up and see him. Verse 27, so he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Now listen, do you think God is going, oh, what's this guy again? I'm sorry, I forgot you. what's your name? No, he knows his name is, what his name is. But you remember the last person to ask what his name was? It was his daddy, Isaac. Who are you? What did he say? I'm Esau. God isn't looking for information. God is revealing Jacob to Jacob. How does he answer that question, right? We, we just read it. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. But we've got to understand what does his name mean, right? And so when God says, what is your name? He says, I'm the deceiver. I'm the manipulator. I'm the supplanter. I'm the conniver. That's my name. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. What's he saying? You are no longer the deceiver. You're Israel. You're, you're the one who strived with God. Now, don't look at prevailing one. Jacob won. Jacob did not win. Right? Jacob clearly lost. And that's good. Because the last thing you want to do is fight with God and win. Remember in, in Romans where God allowed the, the unrighteous and the immoral to win? And over and over and over again, God is wooing them and drawing them. And they said, no, 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 no. And, and God said, fine, I'll, I'll give you what you want. You don't want God? No God then. So God gave them over. Romans 1, t- verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over to, in the lust of their hearts. What did he give them over to? To impurity. Romans 1, 26. For this reason, God gave them over to what? Degrading passions. Verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. They said no to God for so long that he gave them what he wanted, no God. 
He gave them over to impurity. He gave them over to degrading passions. He gave them over to a depraved mind. He gave them over, we can sum it up and say, to doctrines of demons. But because you could not simply just come to God anytime in any way you want. In fact, no man comes to the Father unless the Father draws him. So today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart like they did. Today is the day of salvation. If you win against God, then you lose. But if you get to the end of yourself, where all you have is God, then you win. You go, why did God break Jacob so bad? He broke him to bless him. He crippled him to put a crown on him. He who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Look at verse 29. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it you ask me my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Peniel, and he was limping on his thigh. So Peniel and Peniel both mean the same thing. It means face of God. In other words, he saw the second member of the Trinity. Christ is the, the, the image of the invisible God. And then look at verse 32, our final verse. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh and the sinew of his hip. Now, this custom of not eating the sinew of the hip is, is still followed by many Jewish people today because of that, but it was not forbidden in the law. And so you may wonder, well, how long was Jacob on injured reserved? How long was he, was he limping? I think he limped for the rest of his life. In fact, look at Hebrews 11 when it speaks about it, this. He says, by faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, and what's it say? Leaning on the top of his staff. Why was he leaning on the top of his staff? I got a bad hip. For the rest of his life, it was a reminder and here we see him still leaning on the top of his staff. Listen, there's no filler in Scripture, is there? All right, so how do we apply this? Number one, commit to silence and solitude. Commit to silence and solitude. It, don't say you don't have time. Okay? When you say you don't have time, all you're telling me is you, it's, you don't think it's that important. You always have time to do the things that are most important to you. You just have to make it a priority. And there is a spiritual warfare that is raging all around us. And that warfare is, is one on our knees in prayer and then in reading and obeying God's word. And if you're going, well, I'm just new to the Bible. Listen, ask, ask me, ask any. There's so many people in here that can help. And you go, well, do I need this commentary? No, read the Bible. Read the Bible. Just read the Bible, okay? And, and, and where do you start? Well, if you've never read the Bible before, I would say start in the book of John, fourth book in the New Testament. That would be great. Read through John a couple times, go back, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John a, a third time, and then maybe get into the epistles. Start John. Okay, start reading John. Time in God's Word, time in prayer, literally every day. Okay, commit to it, put it on your calendar. Make it an appointment. Make it a priority. And I would recommend you do it early in the morning because if you don't do it early in the morning, the, day, the distractions of the day are going to be upon you. Commit to it and watch how God grows you because of that. Number two, recognize whose blessing you desire. You know, the more time you will spend in God's word, then the more you're going to be able to discern what his will is. Some of us let go of God too easily. Yeah, I tried that reading the Bible thing. It didn't work. That is not seeking him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But you have to discern, do I want God's blessing in doing his will, or do I want God to bless my will? Right? Do I want God's blessing because I'm obeying his will, or do I want God to bless my will? Big difference. Would you rather walk with a limp with God or walk without a limp on your own? And I, I mentioned in Sunday school this morning, the mo most miserable person in the world is a Christian who's out of fellowship with God. 
And if you desire spiritual blessing, then you must do things God's way. Which brings us to our final point. Number three, rejoice in your helplessness. Jacob's problem is that he was a really good manipulator. He could get what he want. He could figure out a way that didn't involve God. And so like Jacob had to come to the end of himself, we have to come to the end of ourself. It wasn't until he was helpless and had a broken hip or dislocated hip that he was in a position where God would pour out the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant on him. Listen, helpless and, and bro- broken and bankrupt, those are all negative words in our society, but it is the gateway to faith. Broken, helpless, bankrupt. That's where you get to actually where you have to trust God. And if you have never come to that point in your life where you have repented of your sins, called on the name of Jesus Christ to save you from those sins, Listen, that's the first step of obedience. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for the word of God, living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides even the thoughts and intentions of our own hearts. God, thank you for this example that you've given us in Jacob of the value of being broken of the value of being helpless because that's the point where we actually learn to trust you. God, make us comfortable in being uncomfortable. Help us to be joyful when we have nothing except for you, when our only option is you. Use your word in our lives. And not that we would be really good hearers, but we would be effectual doers. And help us this week to obey you first by spending time with you. And then moment by moment, living out those things that you teach us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's stand together. We're only going to be able to do one.